Yeah, good morning, North Point. You guys doing okay this morning? We good? We, uh, we eat enough turkey? Do we have enough naps? Just wanted to check. No, somebody said no, I understand completely. Hey, uh, as we kind of uh, start our time together this morning for these next few minutes, this, this conversation that tends to be uh, a little bit uh, one-sided, I, I know the guy up here ends up doing some of the talking, um, I just wanted to start by, by sort of reviewing where we've been over the last few weeks. John Eliff has done a phenomenal job uh, unpacking what this looks like to be this, this, this Christ follower or somebody, uh, like, like our North Point vision says, uh, uh, helping all people move towards a life fully devoted to Christ. What does that look like? John's been unpacking that, and we've been to a few places. If you've been here, if this is your first week with us, then it's great. We're going to get you up to speed this morning. Uh, we've, we've followed Jesus to a few different places. We've followed him to the funeral. We talked about this idea that dying to self is vital if we're going to be a follower of Christ. We followed him into the closet, and this idea is of, of, of prayer and giving and fasting that's done in secret because God sees that and blesses it. This idea that that is, that is vital if we're going to be a follower of Christ. We followed Jesus to the Colosseum, this idea of, of doing right when wronged. And this entire series, series and you see the picture behind me, we've, we've called Stride, this idea of keeping in step or keeping in stride or keeping pace with Christ. And it's a huge unpacking that's going on, and we're praying weekly, daily for you guys that as we hear this together, that God is transforming this into our lives somehow. As John and I talked about how this series should look, and then and we get to my specific piece today, we both agree that it would be good to take a break, to take a rest. We're still in series here, but the last thing that we want to communicate is somehow that being a Christ follower means doing all this stuff, more things you've got to do, more things you've got to be about. It's certainly your life is going to look different as a Christ follower. And the thing that John has unpacked over the last couple of weeks, we're going in the next few weeks, those are things that are just going to pour out of you. As you get to know the Savior more. We do not want to communicate that somehow being a Christ follower is all about doing stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And so this morning we want to kind of take, take a step back and take a breath. If we were reading a psalm, there would probably be this little word that we would get in there that says Selah, which means rest. Breathe. Take a moment. That's really what we want to do this morning. I have two stories in my head that have been in there for the last couple of weeks as I've been thinking about what we we're going to share this morning and where I was going for the specific piece. And I just want to tell you those stories because I want to try and get us on the same page somehow. You in my brain, which for some of you, that's freaking you out right now. I don't want to be there. I understand. I don't want to be here sometimes, but I just, I kind of want us to be on the same page as we move forward. So here's the two stories that I have in my head. About seven years ago, uh, I, I kind of got, I, I don't really know how to say this, but I got into exercise. Like I started like actually meaning to exercise for the first time ever. I, I was a lot fatter and my brain was just not really healthy. And I was like falling asleep at six o'clock at night on the couch. And I'm thinking, man, I'm, this is not good. Right. And so, so uh, my wife and I, we, for Christmas, we signed up for uh, a local gym back in California, the little town that we were in, uh, the YMCA was kind of the, the least expensive option. And so we signed up for that and I started going and I, and I just remember the first few weeks of being there, I'd get on the treadmill because that seemed the most, uh, uh, or maybe I should say least intimidating machine available. Anybody with me, you'd get do a treadmill at a gym. Okay. So like four of us are together. Awesome. So, so I would get on this treadmill and I had no idea, like, I don't know, I know you're supposed to walk on it or run or whatever, but like, I don't know, like there's buttons you push and there's numbers and there's speeds and stuff. And I don't really know what that's supposed to look like. And so I did this thing that I'm absolutely convinced that if you have ever run on a treadmill in a gym, you've done as well, but you will never admit it. It's embarrassing. You're on that treadmill, right? 
And you do this thing. No, only you guys in the front are going to catch this, but that's okay. You do this. You, know, you try to see what they're doing next to you, right? No, and then some of you are like, well, no, it's not me. I've never, you've done that. I know you've done that. Come on, to be honest. Have you done that? Okay, so, so I'm looking at the number next to me. I'd go in the afternoon sometimes, and whenever I'd go in the afternoon, it seemed to be when the, um, the older timers were there. And so I'd kind of do that little glancing at the number next to me, and it was boop. Okay, so I'd boop. I'd do that. And then we were just, okay, oh, I could do this. I could do this for days. I think this is pretty easy. But I was kind of like, I wasn't breathing hard. You know, I'm doing, in, 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 and I'm holding uh, four. Okay, so nothing's really happening, you know. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So, so I'm like, that's okay. I can walk at that speed. And, and then sometimes I'd go in the evening. And apparently, at least in California, in the little town that we lived in, that's when like the tough mutter triathlete Olympic hopeful runners went. And so these, these, these Norse gods and goddesses were like on the treadmill next to me. And, and so I'd do that little sneak thing and I'd see number. And, I, and I'm ready, and my legs are moving faster than my brain can keep up, and you're just holding that on, and, 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 I, and I'm running like that for like 32 seconds, and then I think I'm going to die, right? I can't keep that pace. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. And the last thing that I want to do is let go because I've watched enough of those shows. You know, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'll just bounce along with my feet and look like I'm running. So I have this treadmill story going on in my head over the last week. The other story that I had going on in my head was um, I did this thing uh, back when I was real young. It was called kindergarten. You guys do that? You're with me? Okay. So I did kindergarten, and um, I really liked kindergarten. I just, I really enjoyed it. I remember enjoying it, except one subject. And I don't, I don't know if this is everywhere, if this is just a, like a bizarre California thing, but but they had this one, uh, this one thing during the day that all kindergartners had to do, and that was nap time. Anybody? You still, anybody with me on that? Like you did, and they, they made you grab one of these things, which looked a lot bigger when I was five, and, uh, and you had to put it on the ground, and, and then you had to get your entire body on it, and then you had to rest. Well, I had a lot to do in kindergarten. I had like deals to make and people to get to know and stuff was happening around me. And I thought, what a waste of time, right? And so, so I, I was put on the, the, the mat and we were all like in this room together, like 35 of us. And we were supposed to, we were supposed to nap and, and rest. And the teacher would come along and I don't think this happens anymore, but teacher would come along and rub our backs for two minutes each. There's no way that happens anymore, right? Yeah. And, and I thought that was great. And then when she, my turn was over, like I was done. I'm ready. Let's go. Like, hey, so I talked to the people next to me. That seemed the most reasonable Option, I got in trouble. Who gets in trouble during nap time? Right? And so the teacher would move me to uh, Siberia, like in the corner. There's nobody to talk to. And that's not a problem. I can entertain myself. I start drawing on the carpet just with my finger, not, not crayons or markers or nothing. I just trace in like little shapes in the carpet for the 30 minutes that felt like 30 hours that we had to lay there on the carpet and do nothing. And the teacher would come by and I got in trouble for 30 minutes straight. And so parent teacher conferences would come along. And they would go something like this, you know, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Carter, Chris is a wonderful child. And he's, and he's very bright and he's, he's certainly advanced in like coloring and stuff. And he's very respectful. <sighs> but then there's nap time. He's failing nap time. How do you fail nap time? Like that's ridiculous. And I just, for whatever reason, as a kindergartner, I could not settle down enough to just stay still in one place for 30 minutes. And if I'm honest with you guys, I'm not sure much has changed. 35 years later. Anybody with me? You have a hard time finding a minute 
just to, to rest and, and breathe. There's stuff going on, and life is so busy and so full. And, and so as we're kind of moving together into the text that I want to tackle uh, this morning, that, that, that we're still working this concept of, of stride, keeping step, stepping up, stepping out, and keeping pace with Christ. This idea of what it, what it looks like to move all people towards a, full, a life fully devoted towards Christ. What, is that, what does that look like? We want to unpack a text this morning that, that I hope uh, is going to challenge some of you that are like me and maybe be the breath of fresh air for a lot of you. Going, oh, that's what we've been waiting for. So Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to jump into. If you have a Bible, boy, I'd, I'd, love you to, I'd love you to see this text. If you have your own Bible with you, I'd love you to highlight it, circle it, doggy ear the page. Um, you're welcome to do that in the pew Bibles in front of you. It just doesn't help you in the week, so probably no point in that. But Matthew chapter 11. And here's the deal, God, uh, Jesus has been on the planet for, for a little while, a number of years, he's been doing his thing, um, he's beginning to build uh, a bit of a reputation, a little notoriety, um, he's healing, he's raising, he's ministering, he's talking, he's challenging, and so, so people are beginning to take notice of him. Matter of fact, um, we, we get to this point where, where Jesus' cousin, his name is John, we call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer because that's kind of what he was known for. He was baptizing people. He spent a lot of time in the water helping the Jews to understand that, that they're still full of sin and that they needed cleansing and these types of things. And so John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, gets arrested because he speaks out against uh, king, the, the king at the time. So the, the king was doing some funky stuff with a wife and a mistress and blah, blah, blah. And so he speaks out against that. The king arrests John. John's in prison. John's pretty sure he's not going to make it out of prison. He's pretty sure he's going to die this time. And so he sends a couple of his followers to Jesus to say, okay, seriously, cousin, seriously, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Because I'm kind of all in on this. Like, I, I don't think I'm getting out of here. I think I'm dying. And really, my whole life up to this point has been announcing that there's this Messiah coming, this person that's been promised from God for centuries past who's going to come and deliver and save and minister. And I, I'm so convinced that that's you. But I, I feel like I've got to ask one more time. Like, just straight out, Jesus, are you the guy? Are you the one? And so Matthew chapter 11, this is how Matthew records this, starting in verse 2. It says, when John heard in prison that the Messiah was, uh, what the Messiah, Jesus, was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replies to these disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, and blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus says to these disciples who come to ask him, are you really the guy? John needs to know. Are you him? Jesus says, hey, what do your eyes tell you? Like, look around. You've seen me. It's not been done in secret. What are you seeing? Like, the lame walk, the blind receive sight, the good news is preached to the poor. Now, this wasn't just like a tangible, hey, you've seen what I've done. I'm doing miracle things. Obviously, I'm from God, right? This was certainly part of that, but this is a bigger picture that John's disciples would have understood. This was the description of the Messiah. See, the challenge for the Jews is that the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and those guys, they had described the Messiah in a couple of different ways. There was this picture of this conquering military hero. You're thinking like, like superhero, like, like gunslinger coming into town, cleaning up, saving everybody. Kicking out the bad guys, justice. 
right? So the Old Testament prophets had described a Messiah that looked like that. And in the same breaths, a few sentences later, they also described a Messiah that would, that would come and minister and heal and help and hug and love. And, and so, so John is going, hey, uh, I know this Messiah. I really want the military victory type Messiah. That's who the Jews had been so much hoping for. And Jesus comes and fulfills this second picture of the Messiah. And, and part of that picture was exactly the things that he had been doing. It had been prophesied that he would heal the blind and raise the dead and proclaim the good news to the broken. And so Jesus is going, hey, you've seen me do the very things that the Messiah is supposed to do. Do, do you get it? And these disciples must run back to John and must have told him what he said. It's interesting then because the next few verses... Jesus, Jesus turns his attention to the crowd. Whenever Jesus is talking, you get this picture most often when Jesus is talking that there's a crowd that's been formed around him. And sometimes we think it's just the disciples, but really it's a crowd of people. Because if we're honest, anytime Jesus is doing something publicly, it's like it's ripe for a good show. I mean, who knows? Some crazy demon-possessed guy might come running down the aisle. That's fun, right? Or somebody might get raised, you know, who was lame might be healed. That's kind of fun to watch. Or if nothing else, if the religious leaders show up, they're going to have this massive debate and Jesus is going to win because he seems to always win. So like whenever Jesus was moving publicly, these crowds would form around him kind of like, you know, I don't know, there's no TV. So let's go see what Jesus is doing today. All right. And so these people would come to watch, to see, to, to uh, some of them were, were for entertainment. And we, we hear this picture that a lot of them follow him. But, but as, as Jesus unpacks his, his mission a little more, most of them turn away because they're just there for the show. They're just there to be entertained. And so Jesus turns his attention to the crowd, and, and he kind of he he gives it to them a little bit. He, he says, hey, you know what? You guys are, you guys are, you guys are kind of nuts. That's my translation. You guys are kind of nuts cause, because, you know, you badmouthed John, whose disciples just showed up and said, hey, you know, are you the one? You, you, you kind of badmouthed him because his way of living was really severe. Like he lived in the desert. He just lived off the land. Whatever he could find and scrounge together, he would eat. Whatever he could weave together out of desert grass he would wear i mean he was just like this really hard lifestyle kind of guy and it wouldn't be real fun to be his like follower and keep in step with the way he did it because it was a hard life he said so you badmouthed him and then and then i come on the scene and and my way of living it looks different I, I do go to weddings and and i do have conversations with people and i am living life and and i'm full of joy and and then you badmouth me like you guys are nuts you're exhausting yourselves you, you don't want to follow a guy like john because his life is severe and hard you don't want to follow a guy like me because because apparently it's too whatever like you guys are just exhausting yourselves and then he drops this statement and this is where we want to land today is verse 28 the very end of this conversation that he has with these 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 crowd is crowd of people he says this he says come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, don't you just kind of want to stop there? You're sort of just... Soak that in. I may, I may be alone on this. That's okay. I kind of just want to stop there and soak that in. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Is that you? You just feel worn out sometimes. Like you're trying to live this life, and, and then you're trying to be a follower of Christ, and, 
you just feel exhausted. Weary is an interesting word there because it really is this, this connotation, this picture of a weariness that I've done to myself. Like through ceaseless striving, like I'm trying so hard all the time. I'm exhausted. This weariness that I've put on myself. The word burdened is sort of the, the opposite picture of that. It's, it's certainly a weariness or an exhaustion, but it's because it's something that other people have put on you. These burdens that other people have laid on top of you, you didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to ask for or warrant it, but somebody else has put this thing on you that somehow now it's your responsibility to carry, and you're exhausted. You're wiped out. You with me? And Jesus says, come to me if you're tired and worn out. And then he goes on to talk about the yoke, which, which to us, I don't know if it means anything. We don't live in the same culture that Jesus lived in. It's not very, a little more agrarian out here um, than a lot of places. But, but it's a farming implement that Jesus' original hearers would have understood very, very well. They would have seen it every day. As a matter of fact, Jesus, as the son of a carpenter, probably made a lot of these with his dad over the years. So he was very familiar with the yoke. And most everybody has seen at least a picture of a yoke or at least has a basic concept of what a yoke is. It's this, this giant, very heavy wooden frame that has at least two little notches in it you put it on the neck of two animals to keep them moving together are you with me like we know this picture i don't have to unpack that anymore so the idea on a yoke is that uh, it does two things one and it's usually oxen that you put this on it does two things one is it keeps the animals heads down which is kind of interesting because we use that phrase sometimes ago when life is hard or when you need your student to just you know work a little harder at whatever it is, or maybe your boss needs you to put a little more emphasis in. They said something like, hey, just keep your head down and work hard. Keep your head down. And that interesting, that comes from that picture right there. Keep your head down. So it keeps the animals' heads down so they're, they're not distracted by all this stuff. And it also keeps them moving at the same pace. Because if you get one ox that's stronger than the other, maybe they're gonna, they're gonna, one's going to walk a little faster, and then your, your fields are going to get all bizarrely curved and stuff, and you're going to lose land, and I'm not a farmer. I'm, that's bad, but I don't know why. So, so this picture of this ox or this yoke that would have gone on these animals, Jesus uses that imagery to say that his yoke, and to begin to talk about it, is interesting because in Jesus' day, by this time, not only was that the concept of the yoke, but it had taken on this metaphorical imagery as well. Two ways. One is sort of like a national, cultural uh, yoke. For the Jews, in particular in Israel at this time, it was Roman rule. Rome owned them, and so the culture that was the Romans and the law that was from Rome and the, the way of doing things that was from Rome and, and what it meant to be a good Roman citizen was all laid on top of the Jews as sort of a yoke. They had to live under that. If you're a teenager, then you probably maybe use this phrase of your parents. You'd say, I live under the yoke of my parents. This idea that I have to follow their rules and do life their way and, and our family times are shaped the way that they want me to. And so that was kind of the picture there. For the Jews with the Roman yoke on them, it was a negative thing, not a positive thing. Over time, for the Jews in particular, this, this concept of yoke also became one that was used to refer to the law. And this is the part I want you to tie in on. Because the Jews would say it was a good thing to be under the yoke the way of living, cultural, moral, legal, of the law. The law was, was contained in the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. There are about 600, 615 laws that God handed down unto the Jews. 
in that time. We like to pick out the big ten, the Ten Commandments, and use those. But honestly, there was, that's surrounded in over 600 different laws. Over time, Jewish religious leaders had written laws to make sure that if you didn't break the laws they wrote, then you certainly wouldn't break God's laws. And as time went on, then there was another fence put on it. So if you didn't break these laws that we wrote, then you won't break these laws that my grandpa wrote, and you will definitely not break God's laws. And over time, there was a third fence put around it. Are you with me? Tracking? Make sense? Right? And so by the time Jesus came on the scene in physical form, the the Jews were under this yoke of the law that was full of thousands, thousands of rules that governed everything from how they dressed to how they eat for, to, to, to when they could walk or how much they could walk. I mean, anything imaginable, there was a law or a rule that governed it, and this was the yoke that they lived under. Holy moly, thousands of rules that you have to remember to obey every day. That's exhausting, right? And so Jesus comes along and uses this imagery of a yoke, which would have been fresh in the minds of his listeners, to say, hey, The yoke that you've been under or that you've put yourself under or that has been placed on you, it's exhausting, but my yoke is, right? This is words like easy, light. That's refreshing to our souls. So here's here's the picture. Here's the point. I want you to get this point. If your relationship with Jesus, if your followership of Jesus does not look like rest, then you're doing something wrong. And don't put that on Jesus. That's all on you. If my relationship with Jesus does not equal rest, then I'm doing something wrong. As much as I want to blame Jesus, I can't put that on him. That's all on me. Make sense, kind of, sort of? Um, this is dangerous. I, I'm, I'm a little nervous to be real honest with you at this moment. I need a volunteer I'm so glad that really nobody volunteered. You should always ask what you're volunteering for first, right? But since Mr. Longoria back there did put his hand up, we'll have Eric come on up here. Eric, I appreciate your help, man. I'll be honest, too. I had a backup with, a, with, a, with, a, with my friend over here, and he was hoping somebody else would volunteer because he really didn't want to do it. So, All right. Hey, this is my favorite backpack. We're just going to put it on you. This backpack has been everywhere. We're going to have you stand right here, right up towards the edge. You can just face the table. This backpack has been uh, multiple days in Yosemite. It's been sniffed by bears. It's been uh, mauled by mountain lions. It's awesome. I actually have a lot of good stories to go with this backpack. You might want to buckle the, the, the metal, the middle. Oh, okay, good luck. <laughs> no, actually... I had it on a, a, a girl before, so it's not important. It's not you, it's me. Okay, so, so here we go. So we've got all these different yokes in, in life, right? And some people, uh, maybe, maybe it's a yoke of culture. Maybe it's looks, all right? It's like, hey, you've got to look a certain way. We can't, we can't uh, have any wrinkles. We can't have any extra uh, this. You know, we've got to wear certain clothes. Uh, Old Navy's not good enough. It's got to be Abercrombie. And so it's, it's the yoke of fashion. Or maybe it's the yoke of economics. Hey, we've got to make a certain amount because we live in this town, and, and people in this town make a certain amount and so that's kind of how that works we certainly got to have a certain amount of income maybe it's um if you're a student maybe it's grades hey you know what these are the grades that i pulled in school and so you got to pull that in school too and so it's this yoke of grades that we put on us or or maybe it's the yoke of Parents. Parents have these expectations uh, uh, for you. They say you got to be like this or be like that. Or, or maybe if your parents aren't part of the 
picture anymore because you've grown up and you live in your own home. Now it's a boss that says, hey, you got to come in early because, you know, we really got to get this project done. And so there's an expectation on you to do that. There's yokes that people put on you. And then there's society's yokes that says, hey, you know, uh, you got to pay your taxes, right? And so we throw that in there too and make sure you're doing that. And if you're a responsible citizen, then for sure you're, you're going to uh, vote and you're going to understand the issues. Well, why are you leaning forward? And you're going to, just kidding, dude. Okay, we're good? Okay. Okay, you can lean forward. Uh, and so, and then we have uh, the, this this yoke of uh, being a responsible citizen and understanding the issues and and giving to charity, right? You got to be sure that that you give to charity because that's that's part of being a responsible citizen. And then you get to religion, and we say, hey, you know what? You got to give. I don't have any more room in the backpack. And you got to attend, right? And you got to show up. And and then and then you get to this personal yoke, and you say. Hey, you know what? I have these dreams and these desires and these things that I want to do. And then you get, oh, one of these is leaking. I won't give you the leaking one. And then you, you get married. And you have a spouse that puts some responsibility on you or a yoke or just making sense. And you're exhausted. Right. And now we're going to go for a run around the auditorium. Are you ready? Uh, yep, You'd so. still beat me. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Eric's a strong guy, and he could do this for a while. I'm I'm totally convinced of it. All day in this, all week in this, all month in this would be exhausting. And and so then we get this thing where Jesus comes along, and he says, Eric, what are you doing, Eric? He says, come to me. Come to me. If you're tired and exhausted and worn out from this, he says, "Take, take my yoke, Eric. Take my yoke on you. And learn from me. Because I'm gentle and humble in heart. He says, take my yoke on you. Eric. Because it's easy and light. And in the end, it brings soul rest. It's not cumbersome or burdensome. It brings soul rest. And so Jesus says, because Jesus doesn't say, I have no burden for you. He doesn't say there's no yoke that I'm going to lay on you. He says that it's easy and that it's light. It's not overwhelming or burdensome. feels different, right? Much better. And you guys can see that. You can imagine being in Eric's shoes up here, trying to carry something like this. This, that could be carried for a while. Jesus' yoke is easy and light. Eric, thanks. You can unbuckle. We'll let you get out of here. I appreciate you helping me out this morning. We want this image in your head because I think this is what Jesus is unpacking here. Let let, let me say this clearly, and then we'll finish up with a rereading of the verse. But I I am not advocating an easy believism. I'm not advocating or saying that when you come into a relationship with Jesus that somehow your life is going to be super simple, like easy peasy, right? I'm not saying that when you become a Christ follower, you can live in any way you want to. It doesn't matter all that sinful stuff that you were doing before. That's okay. Keep doing that. I am not saying that. Over the last few weeks, John has unpacked. In the next few weeks, as we follow Jesus to the, to the rock pile and to lunch and to the manger and to the door, we're going to continue to see what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Your life does change. Your life will change when you become a follower of Christ. 
But it doesn't mean adding more things on in an effort to strive and drive and try and die and be. Relationship with Jesus ought to look like rest. And if it doesn't, I think we're doing something wrong. We can't lay that on Jesus. That's all on us. Let me read that verse one more time. I want you to see it in the message version of the Bible. I know it popped up a little earlier. I just want to read it again um, because, because I think this version paints this just a little more poetic. And if you could imagine Jesus saying this to you as you're carrying this burden of culture and all these different yokes that, that sometimes get put on you. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Just come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The, the band's going to come out, and, and we're going to sing another song. And, and I just, I just want to ask this morning that... That if, if you're here and you're feeling a sense of exhaustion from the effort that you've put in, from the things that you've been trying to do, that, that maybe this morning is a time where, where you've got to come to Jesus. It's a come to Jesus moment. Maybe for you that's the first time. Maybe you have never, ever taken that opportunity to step up and say, you know what? Yeah, I, 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 that's me. I, I, I'm packing all this stuff on and quite frankly, I'm burned. I'm just burned. I'm wiped out. I can't do this anymore. And so for the very first time, you want to say, you know what, Jesus, I need to take your yoke. I need to understand what your burden is. You know, you know what that is, by the way? I'll just tell you the secret. The only thing that Jesus lays on us is to know him and allow us to be known by him. In that, in that is, is everything that he wants for us and with us and to do to us. That's light. That's an easy burden to trap on. And so maybe for the first time ever, this morning is a time where you need to say, you know what, that's, that's me. That's what I want. I've got to have a come to Jesus moment. And so as this song plays, whatever you need to do, if you need to come down, if you need to stay in your seats, if you need to grab somebody that you know and just whisper in their ear, I don't want to lose this opportunity for you to say for the first time ever, you know, I, I, need, I need that yoke, Jesus. I need your yoke. But, but let's be honest, maybe it's, you've done this a thousand times. You've been a Christ follower forever, for years. And today, this morning, in this room, uh, you're saying, I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. I want to be a Christ follower, but I'm wiped out. I'm exhausted. Guys, I think that that's on you. And I think maybe this morning is a come to Jesus moment for you. I have a friend named David Scott from California. He says it like this all the time. He says, I need more Jesus in me. I've adopted that phrase. I say it weekly now. I need more Jesus in me. And maybe this morning is a time where you need more Jesus in you. Less of you, less of your striving, and more Jesus in you. And so I make you the same offer in the next song. If you want to come down to the front, if you want to pray with somebody, if you need to whisper in someone's ear, if you're just going to do that quietly where you're sitting, I just want to challenge us that we would begin to cease striving and take on Jesus' yoke of knowing him and having him know us.